Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Paul Reismanel, and I'm one of your hosts and producers. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Klein. I'm here today sitting in Paul's podcast studio. Happy to be here. And Jennifer Waits is joining us from San Francisco via Skype. Greetings. We've got a bunch of news to tackle this week, and we'll do that after our feature interview. But we're going to talk a little bit about a well, a college station that's getting sold, but it's a little bit different situation. Uh, so you'll find out more later, of course. It's our teaser. As well, you're going to be traveling and giving a college radio talk soon, Jennifer. And we also are going to look at some new statistics about radio, but especially internet radio and podcasting that were released this week as part of what is called the Infinite Dial Survey, which is a survey of Americans. Infinite Dial. It's called Infinite Dial. It's a survey of Americans. So it's representative of everybody, asking them about their habits and their use of internet radio, uh, smart devices, podcasting, et cetera, et cetera. Infinite Dial. And tell tell me the the short version of who our feature interview is. Yeah. So in just a a couple of minutes, we'll be talking with a guy who goes by the moniker Radio J. Allen. He reviews radios. But he reviews radios from the standpoint of like how well do they actually work to receive like distant stations? How do they sound? And he also, you know, discusses various techniques uh, for improving your reception. And the reason I asked him to be on the show is we got a question in from one of our Patreon supporters. That's uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Radio Survivor who said, you know, I could use some help receiving low power FM stations. I just had this conversation with a gentleman last night. He's like, I wish I could hear these stations. Yeah. He's saying basically, you know, I can hear it in my car, but I don't really hear it in my house. Maybe that's something you, you all could cover. And I thought, in fact, that's a great idea. And I have, I mean, I can give some advice, but I read Radio J. Allen's blog regularly. And I thought, well, wait a second. <laughs> if we want to, we want to get everything right. <laughs> if we want to make sure we're giving the best information, let me drop J. A. Line and see if he'll be on the show. And he said, yes. Yeah. So, Cause not everyone wants to listen to their local low power FM station over the internet. And not every station is on the internet. That too. Yeah. Exactly. It costs money. Yeah, not I'm every station more is and on. More. Yeah. I'm seeing more and more stations that don't have an online stream for LPFMs. So. Yeah, because that's a cost that they, maybe they can't afford. I mean, there's various things. It's a cost. It, sometimes it's about, in especially rural stations, it's about having reliable internet access right. sufficient to send a signal at their location. Um, in other cases, you know, as stations are getting off the ground, sometimes it's just a matter of it's on the list to get done. But the most important thing was where do we put the antenna? Where do we put the studio? How do we get everything together? Sure, a time cost or a, an effort cost. Cost, not a monetary cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it could be monetary because, well, we had enough money to get us over the hump of building the station right. and our next set of fundraising will have to be around getting online. And it, and exactly, you know, not everybody wants to listen on the internet. Not everybody for not for everybody is it necessarily convenient. We have some stations that don't want to use particular apps that other people are more likely to enjoy. You know, the streaming, you know, tune in is the dominant radio listening app, but not every uh, low power FM station I know of wants to wants to be on tune in. Yeah. So there's all sorts of reasons why. Of course, we'll talk a little bit about these Internet radio stats after we talk with Jay and we, we do some news. Joining us via phone 
from just outside Hartford, Connecticut, we have Jay Allen from RadioJAllen.com. Thank you for joining us, Jay. My pleasure. And I've been reading your website a long time because you write a lot about radios and uh, you review them. You do very thorough reviews, both of like new models and and also sort of like vintage models. And, and your reviews are great because you focus on things like how well they actually like work as radios, how well they receive things. And how long have you been doing this website? Well, I've had this website, boy, now I feel like I'm on the spot because um, my, my memory sometimes is bad. I think I'm going to say seven or eight years, but before I started that website, I was a contributor to another website, which is what got me started in the whole web thing. And I also wrote a few articles that were in some magazines, one of them now defunct called Monitoring Times. Mm. Uh, so basically, I've probably been writing things for the internet and magazines for about 10 years, even though it's been my lifelong hobby. That's great. And so you're actually, uh, you, were, you were in broadcasting, you were in commercial broadcasting, recently retired, correct? Tell us a little bit about your background. Yes, I worked for, uh, well, I started out at small radio stations back in the 60s when I was in college still. In fact, my first job was at a 10-watt FM college station back when, when they were common. You know, the, the station was mono back then. Uh, but I worked for CBS Radio for the past 26 years in Hartford, where I was the production director, which meant that I, my, my primary focus was overseeing commercial production, uh, and that's what I did. We had four radio stations, one AM uh, 50,000 watt AM and three full power FMs. And I did commercials all day, working with clients, agencies, writing scripts, being an announcer, really doing everything. Um, and so that's, that was my, my real job. But as I said, radios have always been my hobby. I actually managed a repair department for an audio store for 18 years back in the seventies and eighties. So I have some experience as a bench technician, but I'm not an engineer. I'm really, I'm a professional broadcaster and a radio hobbyist, I guess is what I'd say. Very Can you tell cool. me what college radio station you started at? Yeah, that was a WMUA from the University of Massachusetts, uh, 91.1 FM. Uh, and this was back, I, I went to UMass in 1967 as a freshman, uh, and uh, that station was 10 watts until sometime in the early mid-70s. They increased their power to, I think, 1,000 watts, which is, I think, what they are now. Nice. But that's where I started out in, in broadcasting. Very cool. Now, one of the reasons we want to have you on the show here, Jay, is um, we've been getting questions from some of our listeners, some of our readers uh, who really, really want to tune in a lot of the new low power FM stations that are going on the air, you know, but by in their very definition, they don't have a lot of power. Uh, in fact, they're capped at, at 100 watts of effective radiated power. Uh, and depending, of course, where they're sited, you know, that, that gives them uh, various, varying uh, broadcast radius and reception areas. And not all of them are necessarily broadcasting online um, or not everyone necessarily always wants to use the Internet to listen. And so we were hoping maybe, you know, you could give some tips because in particular, I think what people are wondering is, is is, you know, they're at home, right? So car radios, people tend to think uh, receive FM radio better in part because you're outdoors. Um, but if folks get home then, they've been maybe listening in the car and they have a harder time tuning in. <laughs> they want to get out of the driver's seat and go home. Yeah. So let's maybe start, <laughs> let's, let's maybe start like with the, with the first, uh, uh, first question is kind of, let's imagine somebody 
already owns a radio. Let, let, let's start with maybe one scenario is, is I've got a radio, maybe like just your, your typical portable AM FM radio or boom box. It's got kind of an antenna, a telescoping antenna, and maybe that's what I use uh, in my home. Um, what can I do to maybe improve a station, a reception of a station that I can hear in my car, but I can't hear in the house? Yeah, well, there were a few things that, that uh, a few important factors on FM reception, the two primary factors on FM reception are the sensitivity and the selectivity of the radio. And one of the things that's been happening, in fact, this has been much discussed in, in the broadcasting press for the last several years, is with the proliferation of all these low-power FMs, the FM dial has become much more crowded than it ever was before. And in fact, here in Hartford, um, well, I live at a slight elevation, but I can receive signals on 107.9, 107.7, 107.5, and 107.3. That's every adjacent frequency, four in a row. And only if the radio is very selective will it be able to separate those stations. A less selective radio, like your typical boombox, especially if it's from the 80s or 90s, will only be able to get the strongest of those stations because it will bleed over the others. So really, and, and what you're finding about car stereos is exactly true, partly because you're outside and in the open, but also car radios have traditionally been the very best radios the consumer can get because they put a lot of money into them. They're very sophisticated designs, and they are highly sensitive and highly selective, and only the best modern radios you could use in your house are really going to match their performance. So really the first thing, and it's, it's not the easiest thing, is, is to get a better radio. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a really expensive radio. Because in recent years, there, there's been a new, uh, a major change in the way home radios are designed, and that's called DSP, or Digital Signal Processing. And this is where most of the works of the radio are contained on a single chip, uh, often you know, manufactured by Sanyo or one of those companies, but that contains all the active uh, receiving circuitry in the radio, and these chips for FM are absolutely phenomenal, so that today's $50 radio might be as selective as your car radio and far better than your 80s boombox. So the, 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 one of the first things is to try to get a radio that is selective as possible because that is going to be one of the prime things you need to be aware of at receiving stations now that the FM dial is so crowded. And so, how do you find out if a radio is selective? Well, you know, that's the hard part. You know, I do it um, the hard way by buying radios and comparing them one against another. You read RadioJAllen.com. Uh, that's RadioJAllen.com. <laughs> that's one of the things I do on my website. Now, I will say that historically my focus has primarily been on AM reception because that was the hobbyist band, AM and shortwave. But in the last few years, there's been a lot more interest in FM. And as I say, with the recent radios, I'm going to say for the last five to six years, they've started becoming much better on FM. I'm beginning to incorporate more FM information into my reviews on the website, but I'm really just starting out at that. So uh, it, it's difficult for the average person to know because you can find two $50 radios in the store and one may be dramatically more selective than another and there's really no way of knowing. The manufacturer's specs don't give you any clue. Um, the best clue is if it is a DSP radio. Most of the DSP radios are going to be excellent in this regard and most of the traditional ones are not. How do you know if it's um, DSP? If you, how, do, how do you know if it has a DSP chip? Is this something that's listed? They usually listed? will advertise that okay. as, as a feature. They'll say DSP, uh, just like they used to say digital back in the 80s and 90s because that was a big buzzword. Everything 
you know, everything had to be digital because that's what was new and that's what everyone wanted. Now, if you go to a manufacturer's website, and the major manufacturers these days are companies with names that might not be so familiar, names like Eton, E-T-O-N, uh, Sangean, S-A-N-G-E-A-N, C-Crane, uh, and Texan, T-E-C-S-U-N, which is a big Chinese manufacturer. But if you go to their websites or, or the, distri- the, dis- uh, the distributors' websites and read the descriptions of the radios, they'll usually say DSP is one of the very first features of the radio. And what does DSP um, stand for? Digital Signal Processing. Okay. Uh, and that's, that, that, that's just, and, and primarily this was done actually not to improve the performance of the radios. It was to reduce the cost of production. Uh, before, you know, before they had ICs or integrated circuits, radios had discrete components. In the old days, it was tubes. Uh, then in the 60s, it started being transistors. Then in the 70s, they started using integrated circuits which contained a lot of components in one little chip. And now the DSP chips, which are still chips, they're integrated circuits, but they just have far more circuitry within the chip. And as I said, almost the entire active part of the receiver circuitry is in a single chip, which means there's little variation unit to unit. There are no internal adjustments that have to be made to calibrate the radio for best performance. If you pick five of them off the assembly line, they're, they're going to perform the same because the, circuit, the performance is all locked into this chip. Uh, and they've been on the market, as I said, for about five to six years. So can I walk into Best Buy? Can, I mean, so someone's hearing this and they're thinking, well, I'll just walk into Radio Shack. I'll just walk over to Best Buy, Walmart, Target, and pick up one of these radios? Well, um, you know, I'm not actually sure what radios Best Buy has. Radio Shack, it's interesting you mention that right now because they're yeah. right now, I was just gonna this past week, they're, yeah. they're closing all their stores and having going out of business sales. I was there this week stopping, stocking up on parts. Yeah, it's a good time um, for nerds to go out and buy <laughs> buy, buy cheaper. But radio's in the name, and I think when a lot of people yeah, think of it, they right. think I should stop in a Radio Shack, right? Yeah, well, you know, uh, again, you know, um, at Best Buy, they tend to have more more consumer goods as opposed to hobbyist goods. And I would say for most of the radios by the major manufacturers, online is the place to compare them and find them. And I can actually, I, I made up a short list if you want me to give you some models and their approximate prices of things that people might look at. Amazon's a great place to find them. Uh, that's one of the best places to find them. Some of the Chinese radios are, are best gotten on eBay, believe it or not, even though they're new. They're not individuals. They're companies right. selling on eBay. So is that um, something you could share with us? Uh, we'll, we'll put it on our website. We can put it in our show sure. notes, which is at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. Yeah, I'd love to hear maybe maybe uh, three recommendations without going too deep yeah, yeah. into the stats. Okay. Well, one, one really good example would be the Sangean, and that's S-A-N-G-E-A-N. Mm-hmm. Sangian PR-D4W, which is a $60, approximately $60 street price radio. And this is just an AM FM portable, but it has FM performance that is about as good as it gets. It's as good as a car radio's FM. So assuming you're in a location where a station could be received, it will receive it. Uh, if you want to look for something even a little less expensive than that, uh, there is a radio called the, uh, it's also by Sanjian, in fact, PR-D18. That's about $45 on the street. And that's a slightly smaller radio, but it also has excellent FM reception. 
Um, if you want a radio that also has HD reception, you know, high definition or iBlock, which may not be so relevant to low power FMs, but it's, it's a good radio. They have a model called the HD-R16, which is about $100. And that's, again, an excellent AM-FM radio, but it also features HD. So for the, you know, the bigger stations that have the extra hidden channels, as they call, you can receive them. That's one of the few portables that mm. has that. Hey. And for a very deluxe radio, if cost is no object, one of my favorites is made by the C. Crane Company, which is one of the few remaining American radio producers. Uh, and they're an excellent company, and they stand behind their products. C. Crane. And that's called the C. C. Crane. And their website is ccrane.com. You can also find their radios at Amazon. But they have a radio called the CC-2E, which is going to set you back about $180. But it is a beautiful AM/FM radio. It has great sound. Also has weather band, uh, which is great if you're at all into uh, monitoring, you know, the the NOAA weather radio stations. Uh, and that's that, that's like the high end. That's about yeah. as expensive hey, as they go. Hey, James, I I actually recognized one of those brands uh, that you mentioned earlier, the Eton, because uh, yes. the radio station that I used to work at um, had a very successful. Fundraising, pre, uh, fundraising premium, giving away uh, Eton uh, crank radios that were for, oh, yeah. for emergency use, which was this wonderful yep. um, uh, win-win for the station. They would they would give the radios away as premium gifts for for people uh, donating, uh, you know, a hundred and something dollars, or maybe it was just a hundred bucks to the station, and then all yep. the listeners ended up with um, these crank powered Eton radios. That uh, they could listen to the station on is is there a yeah, good is there a good Eton crank powered emergency radio that that does the job? Well, most actually most of the crank powered emergency radios are fairly minimal in terms of their radio performance. Yeah, um, they're they're handy to have around for an emergency. You know, especially the ones that could charge a cell phone that also have a flashlight on them. Some of them can be charged by sunlight, so you don't always have to crank them, or you can plug them into a you know computer USB port to charge them. Uh, and they're very handy, but very few of the emergency-style crank radios that I found are actually top performers. Okay. So if you're having a problem with FM reception, it's probably not the way to go. Um, I do have one emergency radio which has DSP, which is good, and that's another Sangian. Uh, in fact, I just got this radio a couple weeks ago, and I'm in the midst of reviewing it now. It's about $50, and it's called the MMR-88. Hmm. Uh, and that is actually the first high-performance emergency radio that, that I've ever had. I've, I've had five or six of them, uh, and that's one I would recommend yeah, for I, a good FM reception. I can imagine a world in which uh, these low-power FM stations can sort of uh, benefit from from making sure that these sorts of good radios are in the hands of their of this people in their city. So it's like you can imagine like a partnership. Yeah, right. Although the other uh, thing, the other thing about FM, I just want to point out is um, the technique of the user has a lot to do with FM because FM propagation is, is highly finicky, especially when when you're having problems with signals that are either weak or crowded with other signals, there are some situations where I can actually receive two stations on the same frequency just by re-aiming the antenna or moving the radio. So it's very important. If you're listening to an FM station on any portable radio and the reception is not quite perfect, maybe it's fading in or out or there's you know, static noise, 
try moving the radio around, reorienting the antenna, doing whatever you can. You may find places in your room where it comes in perfectly and other places where it's not there at all. You can turn it 90 so degrees. experiment with antenna aiming and, and placement. That can make a big difference on FM. And just, just sometimes a foot or two will make a huge difference. Yeah, because I'm thinking of somebody who, you know, maybe they've, they've heard, they, they even know someone at the low-power FM station, and they've heard, no, you should be able to get our station where you live. Like, you're in our in our broadcast footprint, and I think that's good advice to kind of move around. But I think there's probably some folks who are listening going, $60 for radio? Yeesh! <laughs> right? I mean, because, you know, at this point when you can buy, you know, kind of a cheap smartphone for $75, people are starting to think, oh my gosh, I would think a radio $5 should radio be $5, should be pocket yeah. change. Or they're thinking, well, I, I own a radio. I own two or three radios. And so, I mean, getting that advice. But uh, here's another scenario maybe you can help address. It's like a lot of people have things like home, home stereo receivers, home theater receivers, uh, you know, that already have radios in them, they may or may not use them, um, you know, because they're primarily used for listening to, you know, CDs or listening to or watching television with, but they have radios and often, you know, they're digital radios. Often they even have uh, HD radio technology built in, but, you know, they come maybe with a little piece of wire that's an antenna. Maybe people have never even plugged it in, didn't know what to do with it. What kind of advice do you have for these folks who might already have like a, a receiver that's got a radio in it? Well, I actually face that very issue myself because I have a, I have a, new, a nice new Sony TV, but my audio-video receiver is about five or six years old, and it came with one of those just pieces of wire for the FM. Uh, and there's two problems with a single wire. First of all, it's not actually a proper FM antenna. It's just a piece of wire so that you have some antenna, and it'll pull in the strong stations. But a much better indoor antenna for that kind of receiver is called a dipole. And this is an antenna that used to come standard with home stereos. It's in the shape of a T. You have a piece of wire, and from the middle of it comes another piece of wire, which is what connects down into the radio. Uh, and if you can find one of those online somewhere, that, I mean, they, they, they're, they're dirt cheap, 3 or $4. They that sell them at Radio Shack. Improved. I saw one there the other day. They sell them we at Radio we Shack. Can't, we can't be yeah. plugging Radio Shack anymore. <laughs> they still have. But that'll if be, you can if find you the Radio Shack. In, yeah. <laughs> but if you plug that in in place of the single wire, it'll usually make a dramatic difference. And again, the key is positioning it. Now, those were designed to be stretched out straight and placed approximately broadside to the station you want to receive. But that's hard to do because most people just throw it behind their thing in the corner and it's laying there in a heap on the floor which is very random for an antenna. I, ideally, those antennas would be stretched out full length maybe tacked to a wall or something, and hopefully pointing in the right direction. That's difficult to do. Can, can you There's hide them behind a picture the frame? Is it, Say that again? Is it okay to hide it behind something, or does it have to be out? Oh, no, it can be hidden behind something, as long as it's not um, you know, metallic. But yeah, if it was along the wall or behind pictures, behind drapes, anything like that, that, that would be fine. Um, but I wouldn't put it along, I wouldn't tape it along a metal curtain rod, for instance, because that would upset it electrically. Hmm. Uh, but there is one improvement over that, and that's also offered by the C-Crane company. They have an antenna called the FM Reflect. And in fact, they just reduced the price on it. They sold it for years for 30 or $40. I believe they're now selling it for $15.99 or $19.99. And what this basically is, is a regular dipole antenna on steroids. Uh, it's made out of all gold connectors, so it has lower loss. 
Uh, it has acute internal trick that actually increases the signal gain, and it's semi-rigid, so you can put it in the position you want it to be in, and it will hold that position. But basically, all it is is a very deluxe dipole, and any dipole is much better than the plain piece of wire. Hmm. So would it be better to be closer to, say, a window than a wall? Uh, normally, in a, in a wood construction building, it wouldn't make any difference. Um, now, when, when you're in steel frame buildings, brick buildings, uh, stucco buildings, which have a wire frame, that really kills AM reception, but it doesn't usually have too much of an effect on FM. Again, if you have a portable radio, you know, experiment, you know, move the radio around, see if it's better near a window than it is in the middle of the room. But in, in a typical home, it's more just moving it here and there by a few feet as opposed to trying to get near a window. So here's something I used to do when I was a kid. I, and I want to know if this is something that I was, is, is, was this just sort of uh, uh, psycho? Or was it, did I imagine it worked? Sometimes I would take an extra piece of wire and put it on the end of that antenna that uh, it was on my portable radio to see if maybe that would work. You know, if I put an extra like three feet on the end of that, would that do anything? That's hit and miss, and it really it depends. It, it depends again on the design of the radio and exactly what your signal problem is. Um, some of the older radios, especially you know back in in the eighties, let's say, uh, it was hard to get top sensitivity in a portable radio only because it required a lot of expensive components to be built into the radio, which they didn't normally do. And sometimes adding wire to the antenna like that might make a difference, but it could also detune a circuit and make it worse. Hmm. And the modern day DSP radios are actually pretty careful. The antennas are designed to suit the input characteristics of that circuit. And I actually experimented with one radio, this very expensive one that I told you about, the CC2E, which is $180, has one of the shortest uh, whip antennas of any of these radios. And I tried an experiment adding some wire to make that antenna longer, and it actually made the reception worse on that radio. So it really depends. Again, you know, you can feel free to experiment. There's nothing to be harmed. But usually the antenna that came with the radio should be the one it's designed to work with. So you, Generally. you just mentioned signal problems. And again, I'm, I'm trying to imagine um, the low – I think we're – I think we're, our audience right now are low-power FM people who want to give good advice to the listeners who are going to shrug and say, well, I don't get it. And so we want to like simplify, but also uh, clearly come up with like the best general, but maybe sometimes specific advice that low power FM station people can tell people in their listening audience about how to improve the chances of listening to their station. So you, you mentioned right. moving the radio around, you mentioned mm-hmm. getting a better radio, uh, right. having a good antenna. Are there any other signal problems on the list? Or, or solutions. <laughs> solutions, yeah. Well, really, those are the primary ones that, that, that I can think of. Um, you know, F- FM reception, uh, I mean, we know that FM reception is line of sight. So although 100 watts is not a lot of power where commercial stations can be, you know, 50,000 watts effective radiated power, a 100-watt signal could travel 10 or 15, 20 miles even if conditions were absolutely perfect. And just to illustrate this, I, I, I once played around with an actual illegal home transmitter, but it was half a watt. Now, going around my neighborhood, I could receive that, oh, perhaps 
half a mile. That was as far as it would go. But I drove to a mountaintop that was seven miles away, and my house happens to be up high on a hill. And at that spot, the signal came in absolutely clear as a bell in stereo in my car. And that was half a watt, seven miles away. Yeah. But in between those two points, I couldn't receive it because I was no longer at line of sight. So really with FM, although it's nice to have higher power, the best thing is to have you know, the optimum you know, line, as close to line of sight as you can get. And if you have that, uh, your chances are much better of receiving the signal. But the best thing I would, the easiest thing I would say to people is if, is if you could receive it on your car radio right at your home, you should be able to receive it on a good portable radio. Um, but again, it has to be a good portable radio, which begins to approach the quality of the car radio. Got it. And, and you know, how about being high up, right? I mean, so any any uh, low-power FM station, that they're unlikely to be on, you know, a thousand-foot tower, but they're definitely going to be a hundred feet up or so. Um, right. I mean, if I'm up, you know, maybe I have an upstairs in my house or I'm, uh, I'm in, a, in a, an apartment that's a few floors up. Does that increase my chances a little bit too? It, it absolutely should um, because anything that gives you a clearer shot at that transmitting antenna is going to, is going to help you. Um, but again, it's very variable now. As I say, I'm not that high here. I'm actually on the side of a hill where my house is. But it happens to be at an elevation of about 450 feet. And as I say, I'm in Connecticut. But at this elevation, I could receive FM signals from five states on portable radios. Mm, wow. And the big problem I have is that there are too many signals. Uh, and there were times, uh, I gave you that one example where I can receive uh, signals on four successive adjacent frequencies at 107.3, 0.5, 0.7, and 0.9. But sometimes on some of those frequencies, I can receive two or even three stations just by moving the radio around. And in those conditions, the old, you know, my typical 80s boombox is just a mishmash because it can't separate any of those signals and they all become useless. So in this case, the extra height is bringing me more signals, which makes the selectivity even more important. Mm. Now, let's say I'm I'm willing to go the extra mile here. Um, what if you know a lot of people still have TV antennas on their roof, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know that that they may be using or they may not be using, but you know all the existing cables, the leads may still exist. Um, is that something I would I would maybe want to try plugging into my radio receiver if it could take an antenna like a, like an AV receiver would? Absolutely. Um, the FM band is just above TV channel six which was a VHF channel. The new UHF antennas, which are, which are what most of the digital TV stations are using now, is much higher in frequency. But, but FM was right near channel 6. In fact, you could often hear channel 6's audio when you tune to the bottom of the FM band on, on radio in, in the day. Uh, so a VHF TV antenna like that could be an excellent FM antenna, but again, it has to be aimed in the right direction. If it's not aimed in the right direction... Uh, you may do better with the indoor antenna, which you can aim. How, so how do you aim an antenna? Do you just kind of rotate it? <laughs> I mean, because a TV antenna I'm picturing is sort of this flat apparatus with these multiple tines, right? Would you just rotate right. it? Well, yeah. It, actually, in the old days, we had antenna rotators. In fact, I have an antenna rotator now I use for an antenna in my attic. Uh, again, some antennas were far more directional than others. Generally, the bigger the antenna and the more elaborate it looked, 
the greater sensitivity it had, but the more directional it became. Um, and I actually grew up in Plymouth, Mass., where we used to receive signals from both Boston and Providence, but you had to turn the antenna to receive one city or the other. If you couldn't turn the antenna, you, you know, it would be aimed at Boston, and you couldn't get Providence at all. And we could get Providence with rabbit ear antenna inside the house, but not with our roof antenna because we didn't have a rotor on it. Hmm. And, and, so and actually, really if someone wanted to put an antenna in their root in their attic, which you just mentioned, it didn't occur to me uh, that I guess that's a solution too. It's a lot easier than climbing up on the roof, and maybe it's uh, it's splitting the difference between all, a lot of these different approaches. That's exactly right. It's a lot easier. You don't have any weathering to deal with. You don't have to worry about lightning and grounding, uh, and you can get some very good results from an attic antenna. But again, for FM, especially if you're having problems with reception, you might. Even if you just want to receive one particular station, then you can just aim the antenna at that station and you're done. But aiming can be very critical with those sorts of antennas. Can you have more than one antenna aimed in different places and switch switch antennas? Well, yeah, you know, they used to do that with T. <laughs> yeah, it's funny you should, should say that because back again in the day with TV antennas, sometimes they did that. If the TV stations were coming from primarily two different directions, they could put up two antennas aimed in each direction and then actually combine their signal. They used the antenna combiner because you don't just connect them together. Yeah. That disrupts the impedance. But you use basically the same as a splitter, but when it's used backwards, it's a, com- it's a combiner. And they would combine the signals from those two antennas and under some conditions that could work really well. In other conditions, it wouldn't work well because one might fight the other and give you ghosting and problems like yeah. that. Plug them into when different radios. Yeah, well, when you used to see ghosts on a TV picture, you know, copies of the picture, with FM, what you end up hearing is distortion. Um, So, again, antennas are almost always trial and error. Trial and error. But you've given us some hints on things to try, uh, which I think uh, gets us a lot further away than where we are. Uh, Jennifer, do you have any additional questions for Jay? As as we were just talking about, you know, maybe there's only one station you want to listen to. And I'm reminded there was this project where people were creating a radio that would tune into one station only. Is there a way, is there a way to do that or create a perfect scenario with your radio so that it's optimized for one station? Well, really that wouldn't help you too much because with the state of today's technology, uh, if you limited the radio to one station only, it wouldn't improve its performance on that station as opposed to a regular radio, which could tune to any station. Uh, that's more true of antenna installations. And generally on the, with FM, it's more due to the direction of the station than the frequency of the station. So I would say basically, no, that's not really going to be much of a help for most people. Okay. Hey, Jay, earlier in the interview, you mentioned that AM was the hobbyist band. I just wanted to. I just wanted to hear more about what you were talking about. Well, okay, but back in the old days, you know, shortwave radio used to be a big hobby for a lot of people. I, I used to spend hours listening to shortwave bands because on shortwave you could hear signals from all over the world, uh, and you still can. But shortwave has really dwindled in the last ten years. There is a very faint, uh, a very small percentage of the shortwave broadcasters are still on the air, and many of them are not any longer beaming their signals to uh, the United States. And that's, so that's just harder, by harder choice, right? That's not some uh, technological fact. It's well, it's because of the, really it's because of the Internet. Yeah. A lot of these international broadcasts, it costs a lot of money to operate a shortwave radio okay. station, and it costs almost nothing to have an Internet station. So even stations like the BBC, 
which once were heard here very easily on shortwave, they discontinued all shortwave broadcast in North America 10 years ago because they figure, oh, they can listen on the Internet. Hmm. There's just a lot less shortwave to listen to. But AM radio, uh, similar to shortwave and unlike FM, at nighttime, AM stations can travel much further. So in the daytime, you know, a typical AM station, if it's a 50,000-watt AM station, it may travel 50 miles, 150 miles. You're pretty much limited to that in the daytime. But at night, you can hear AM stations from half of the country on, on any decent AM radio. Uh, and this is caused by the fact that the, um, the, the uh, atmosphere of the Earth becomes reflective to AM signals at night. Whereas in the daytime, the signals just pass right through it and go out into space. So AM has always been a hobbyist medium because people like to just tune around. They used to try to to log stations from outside of the normal listening area. Uh, and so there are still a lot of people, older people like myself, who love AM radio because of the fact that it's kind of an adventure just receiving the signals themselves. Um, and, you know, FM, generally, it's the same night and day, and it's, lo- it's considered local-only line of sight, although FM signals can travel great distances. Uh, I- I've heard FM signals travel across the country. Uh, usually during the summer, there's something called tropospheric ducting, where the atmosphere can actually form a duct that can bring an FM station in from 2,000 miles away. I was once actually uh, up in Amherst, Massachusetts. I went to the University of Massachusetts, and I was driving to a friend's apartment, and I started hearing a, a radio station from Pompano Beach in Florida on my car radio, and it was actually overriding the local station I was listening to. And we got to the friend's apartment, tuned in on the radio, and it was coming in like a local station. We called the station. We spoke with the DJ. We had a great time. And about an hour later, the station just disappeared, never to be heard again. That's called tropospheric ducting, and that can happen with TV signals and FM signals, but it's relatively rare, but it's a hobbyist thing that, that they look for it mm-hmm. when the conditions are right in the summer. Yeah, I've, that, I've, happened, okay. that happened to me on um, a DJ at KFJC in California in the Bay Area, and I was yeah. listening to our FM signal in my car, and all of a sudden it was a station from Chihuahua, Mexico. Yeah, it's not amazing when that happens, and it was coming it was in perfectly probably. Perfectly, and I only knew because it actually... Um, the information from the station happened to appear on the car radio readout. Mm. Oh, RDS, yeah. So I wrote down the details and figured it out later because initially yeah. I thought it was a nearby Spanish station. Right. But, but it turned out it was from more than a thousand miles away. Yeah. Well, those, again, those things normally happen in the summertime when the, when the atmospheric conditions are right uh, and they're totally unpredictable and they don't often repeat themselves. But uh, other than that, FM pretty much is the same year-round, day and night, and, you know, what you get in the daytime is the same as what you get at night, which is good. You know, with AM, you may get a station fine in the daytime and not be able to receive it at night at all, or vice versa. With FM, if you can get it in the daytime, you should be able to get it at night, and, you know, things don't change that much. And that's, for normal listeners, that's a good thing. I, I accidentally stumbled upon some of those hobbyists uh, on YouTube, they've been they'll post a, a minute long clip or so of uh, of of a station that they tuned in that they were excited about, and so it's just a close up of the radio and right. and the audio of the staticky uh, yep. signal, and you know, so someone in someone in Central Europe uh, excited that they tuned in a radio station from way out east or way out west, usually is what I've stumbled upon. Yeah, that's definitely hobbyist stuff. And again, to the average listener, 
<laughs> you know, who just wants to tune into the station and hear the Red Sox game, that's an annoyance. Because they don't know why they, you know, some stations, like I said, at nighttime, the AM stations travel a lot further, but other stations have to reduce power or go off the air because they have to, they're required by the FCC to protect the stronger stations. Or they may just get covered up with interference. So some stations just disappear at night while others come in that you could never get at the daytime. And to the average person, they don't know why this is and it's just an annoyance. I get emails all the time. How come I can receive the station in the daytime, but I can't get it at night? Um, hmm. So for the hobbyist, it's a lot of fun. For the listener, it's yeah. just pain. For the hobbyist, <laughs> it, it makes the world uh, seem bigger. To, you know, to me, like you yeah. really, you really know that there's this, um, there's something going on way over on the other side of the globe. It's right. magic. And, and the, yeah. And, and the thing for, especially for shortwave listeners, not only the thrill of being able to receive a foreign country directly, but also the knowledge that if the internet were to go down. Or if you're a conspiracy theorist, if the internet were to be shut off, uh, you know, you still have a direct connection to the outside world and to, you know, to um, survivalists. That's a real important thing. You know, I, I, I'm not hysterical about that. I, I, I'm hoping the United States never turns off our internet or that terrorists don't ever, you know, take it down on us. But it is nice to know yeah. that there are some, still ways to get some signals directly. Sometimes the internet goes down without nefarious. Yeah, sometimes uh, there's just a bad line of code yeah. that takes down a third of the internet <laughs> for an afternoon. So, right. uh, Amazon last week, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it, sometimes it doesn't take very much. Uh, and that's yeah. part of the reason why we celebrate radio radio. Radio Survivor is for all of these reasons. It's decentralized. You you know, and from a receiver standpoint, you you just need batteries or in or one of those Eton crank radios. Those things are neat uh, to, to keep things going. And as a broadcaster, I mean, we I know that major broadcasters in major cities often have pretty sophisticated uh, generator setups, and many even smaller stations do. And a low power FM station could be easily run off of the kind of generator you'd use for a cabin. You know that fits in the trunk of your car, right? Generators are a high maintenance item, but at CBS, we had a disaster recovery plans, and, and every station had to have that, and probably all the major companies have something like that. And what they basically do is try to foresee every sort of scenario, you know, from fire to flood to anything, you know, the power outage or whatever, and how you can resume and maintain normal operations. Uh, and, you know, a lot of time is spent, you know, trying to do that, but not every station has that, that, you know, a lot of the low power FM stations can barely afford to be on the air, let alone have backup generators. So you just don't know if every station has that capability. Right. But it's, you know, it is, I think it is part of our sort of, it's, it's sort of about local safety and about in some cases, international safety and, and being able to provide information, vital information when, when it's necessary. Uh, Jay, right. thank you so much. It's been a really fun conversation. Yeah, it's a great time. I think I, I'm speaking for myself, but I think I could speak for all three of us that we've had a great time speaking with you and nerding out about radio, but we really appreciate your, your very <laughs> practical advice here about, uh, you know, positioning a radio you might have some radios. If you, if you're up, for spending a few bucks and getting a new radio, some radio models to consider, as well as, you know, how maybe to better optimize like a receiver or something that, that, that you might already own. And we will put your recommendations on our website uh, and our show notes, which are at radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. And your website is Radio J. Allen. It's A-L-L-E-N. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. Radio J. Allen.com. 
And people can also email me at that website. I try to answer every email I receive. Wow. So if people have particular reception problems or questions about radios, they can find links to email me at that site, and I'll try to answer their questions and help them out best I can. What a great public service. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's wonderful. And, of course, you know, folks can email us at editors at radiosurvivor.com, but they're probably better off um, emailing you if they have reception questions. Well, we, we'd be happy to be CC'd on those emails to Yeah, we'd love, just, we'd love to hear the just answer. Just so we can eavesdrop, yeah. Yeah, we'd love to hear the answer well once again jay thank you so much for joining us here at radio survivor my pleasure have a nice day thank you bye-bye well that was a lot of fun talking with jay allen about radios and radio reception i think we need to have an opportunity to nerd out here you can't all be policy we're bringing him back to talk about radio shack (laughs) sometime sometime in 2017 in memoriam well, we'll see. Yeah. That's, that remains to be seen. Yeah. What is Radio Shack? But no, yeah, I guess we will be memorializing whatever Radio Shack was mm-hmm. in the 80s. In the I 80s. think we need to set up our own online radio store here. Ooh. We, maybe was, we need was, a... I'm oh, sorry, Jennifer, go ahead. Oh, it, was, it was such a useful conversation with him because there are stations I get in my car that I can't get in my house, and I just thought it was an impossibility yeah, and now I learned I just need to buy a new radio. Yeah, real, <laughs> the real nuts and bolts. Yeah, it definitely made me want to go out and uh, put my money where my mouth is and, and listen to the radio. I have one of those radios he mentioned. The DS. No, I have the uh, C Crane oh, CC Radio Two, American not the Two E. My so father mine's would be so proud of you. Mine's an earlier one, um, but yes, I get here in my house. I can receive uh, three. Local low-power FMs. Oh, how lucky. Now, again, I do have to soften walk around or move the antenna, but I get in Freeform Portland, which is which uh, was here on the on this. On which the, is their uh, antennas show. across the river, right? As long uh, as we're being local geography. I okay, honestly don't know do where this. it is. Paul, you're um, centrally located. You're lucky as far as Yeah, I get X-ray is. as well on two frequencies because yeah. they have two frequencies. I get the bigger one. And I get um, – a station that is uh, much further away, but they're pretty well sighted. Um, and I'm sorry to call others. Free, freeform? No. Well, I just said freeform, freeform and X-ray, and then there's a oh, third station, which is the uh, oh, I get the radio project. I get them too. Sorry, so now Portland I get four radio project. Portland radio project, which is very close to my house. Mm-hmm. They're at Benson High School, which uh, oh. which Jennifer profiled and we had on the show. Well, did you know you were moving to the center of? A low power <laughs> FM. No, I didn't. But boy, him. isn't it great! Yeah. I, I, no, I, I, don't tell anybody because it's gonna it's gonna make my rent <laughs> <Yeah>. skyrocket. <laughs> I think I think Google Fiber is gonna gonna cause gentrification faster. Google than Fiber's your, not happening. Than your low power FM. I know that's my joke. Yes, I don't think right. your low power FM hotspot. Uh, is gonna, all the all the radio nerds are gonna converge. Yeah, I think oh, walkable grocery stores and, is and gonna have a Kissin, lot more to do with it. K I S N, which is a low power station. They're not online. And they're all eclectic oldies. And so basically it is the low power FM version of a formerly beloved commercial oldie station that used to be here known as the good guys. Yeah. And some of the people who loved it and been associated with it got themselves low power FM license and they play eclectic oldies. Those radio people who won't give up are our people. (laughs) Yeah. But, but they don't, they not online. So, and, and, uh, in fact, they come in better at night here than, than they do during the day, but I, I am able to capture them on, but only on that one radio. I'm thinking though, that if we created a social network somewhere on the internet, made a whole webpage devoted just to radio shack that we might do. Okay. I think we need, what we need to do is to get C crane to buy (laughs) 
underwriting to buy in some advertisements on this show. <laughs> are we going to? Well, I will say we're going to put Amazon links to the radios that we are talking about. Ugh. And if you buy one from our website, we'll, we do get a few shekels. So, in fact, if you go to radiosurvivor.com, you'll see some, some listings for Amazon. Anything you buy via our website, we do get a couple of shekels. So that is a way you can help us out and upgrade your radio. Yeah, the last time I got one of those uh, uh, radios from my radio station when they were giving away as, as fund drive premiums, um, that was a prized possession. It, it's broken, and I, it, I still own it. I should bring it over here sometime when we're offline, when we're not making a, a podcast, and maybe Paul can help me fix it. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a bench technician. What else are we doing here on the podcast? So yeah, we're going to do some news here. Uh, so Jennifer, <laughs> you've got the story about a college-owned radio station that's getting sold. But it's a little different, right? Yes, and, and some caveats there. Um, so it's WBRU at, that's affiliated with Brown University. Um, it's potentially getting sold. Okay, potentially. Um, potentially, and it's owned by a separate nonprofit. It's not owned by Brown University, so it's it's a nonprofit that is led by students and alumni. Um, there's really interesting radio history at Brown, and and this station is sort of a descendant of of an early campus only carrier current station, which. Uh, claims to be the first carrier current college radio station. Um, so that started at Brown in 1936. And then over the years, radio sort of divided up and there was a campus only AM station. And then they acquired an FM license in 1966. So WBRU, the station we're talking about, is a commercial college radio station owned by a nonprofit. And so it's been operating in recent years as a modern rock station and they have some paid DJs, but it's, it's run by students ostensibly. And it sounds like they've been having financial challenges. And so there's a proposal afoot to consider selling the license Hmm. and there's some alumni who are not happy about this. So they are expressing that they would not like the station to be sold. So we'll kind of see what happens. There's a vote that is supposed to happen the day after we're recording the podcast. So we may have some updates to provide in the show notes uh, when the podcast comes out. So it's interesting. There aren't, there aren't too many of these, commercial college radio stations around. Um, right. and I'm I, was talking- gonna, I was going to ask you about that because it's like, you, I think you've told us about one in the past on uh, on one of your radio tours. It, it really is this weird hybrid where they sort of function the way that we think of community radio stations, but they also um, have advertising. It varies considerably. So WPRB at Princeton is very similar. It's it has a commercial license, but it really operates more like a non-commercial station. Um, and listening to it, you wouldn't know that it was a commercial radio station. There's also WHRB. Ads, I guess I don't, I don't think they air ads. Um, oh, okay. So they have the ability to air ads, but I don't think they do. Oh. And they do on-air fundraising. Uh, but WBRU operates more like a traditional commercial radio station with ads. So I think 
you know, they've been having challenges financially. Um, but, but yeah, to back up, these commercial college radio stations operate in a lot of different ways. Um, one commonality seems to be that most of them have licenses held by a separate nonprofit that is not the university. So there's sort of these old time stations that are kind of dwindling as it turns out. Um, WUVA at University of Virginia, very similar case. And they just sold their license. The sale just went through about a week ago, but at University of Virginia, in addition to WUVA, which operated like sort of a traditional commercial radio station, um, the campus also has a couple of other stations that are more like what we expect of college radio. So they have a community-oriented FM station and then a brand-new student-oriented LPFM. So kind of an embarrassment of riches at University of Virginia, and so the commercial station there is getting sold, but it doesn't mean college radio is going away. Hmm. And and if I understand correctly it sounds like wbru i mean it runs like an actual commercial format and to kind of just sort of dig into that a little bit more what we mean when we say a commercial format is this isn't uh college kids coming in with their stack of records playing whatever they want and it just they air commercials it's more like you if you were to tune into like a modern rock commercial station in any market WBRU would sound kind of like that, where they Limited have playlists, playlists. Yeah. commercials, and the students are adopting much more of that kind of uh, commercial DJ style, and and they may have more live DJs than, say, uh, another local station, which is probably run on automation, but otherwise, it, it sounds much more like that and not so much like the, the prototypical college station. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and right now, it's a modern rock station. I think in the past, it was a progressive rock station. So it, it's, it's very much served as a competitor to other local commercial radio stations rather than being, yeah, like our stereotype of a college right. radio station. With, 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 with the operative difference being that, you know, unlike most radio stations, there's probably uh, most commercial stations, there's probably more opportunities to get on air. They're giving opportunities to college students. They're learning much more of a commercial style and maybe get an exchange for that. They don't get the same level of kind of personal expression and there isn't the same level of kind of eclecticism, but it seems as though students do derive some level of benefit from being associated with, with this station. Yeah, it reminds me oh, of yeah. your learning. I mean, it's it reminds me of some... your learning lab uh, tours exactly. that we were talking about in a previous episode. And definitely real world learning lab. So in the 90s, um, Brown Student Radio was formed as, you know, like I said at the very beginning, at Brown, there was campus-only carrier current over AM starting in 1936. Um, and then after the FM license was purchased, students continued doing AM. Um, and then in 1995, they actually started getting access to some additional terrestrial signals. So they rented time so that Brown student radio could do their more alternative leaning um, student oriented station and have that broadcast over FM. So they had some time that they bought from a local high school or school district. Um, So they were on FM for a while or it might've been AM, um, but they were on the terrestrial radio and 
that um, partnership went away, but Brown Student Radio has continued as an online station, and they're also have a, they also have a construction permit in hand, I believe, for an LPFM. So there's still kind of a stereotypical college radio experience available for Brown students. It just doesn't have the humongous platform that WBRU-FM has. Right, right. Well, so I guess you'll be following this story to see what happens uh, and if the alumni and, and other folks who are challenging or upset about this sale are able to uh, make a case to the nonprofit because it's not the university, right? It's a separate nonprofit which owns this particular station. Right, yes. So we will see. I will keep you posted for sure. And Jennifer, also you'll give us a preview here. You've got a speaking engagement coming up. Yes, so on March 17th, I'm going to be heading to Charlottesville, Virginia for the College Radio Then, Now, and Next Symposium at University of Virginia, which I just mentioned University of Virginia. Um, so WTJU is hosting this symposium, one-day symposium, with several college radio experts and Presumably a bunch of stations, probably primarily from Virginia, coming by to chat about college radio. And I'm going to talk about college radio history, and then I'm also going to talk about the current state of college radio. And And then I think, you know, there, there are going to be a lot of opportunities for all of us there to chime in together and talk about various topics I'm pretty excited about somebody um, is going to give a presentation about college radio at historically black colleges and universities. Edith Thorpe from, she's the general manager of WNSB at Norfolk State is going to talk about that. So I'm particularly interested in hearing that for longtime radio survivor readers and podcast listeners, you might know that I've I've dug into some stories about there was a former black college radio conference that that used to happen. It was a really big deal, I think, in the 80s. And then it sort of disappeared um, without much fanfare. So I've always been interested in um, in what's been going on at historically black colleges and universities and also with this now defunct black college radio conference and associations. So. I look forward to hearing from her to learn more about that. Yeah, that'll, um, that'll really uh, enrich your understanding of, of that. Maybe you can talk with her. Maybe you can, maybe you can get a little interview for us. Yeah, I know. That would yeah. be cool. Yeah, um, at the very least, an email address. <laughs> I know. And, and, and will this, will this, is this primarily um, aimed at students, at at scholars who study college radio at practitioners, people who might be advisors, uh, station managers and such, or is this sort of an all inclusive kind of audience? Do you know? I think it's all inclusive. Um, mm. yeah. And definitely as you might guess, I'm, I was reaching out to some stations in Virginia to try to do radio station tours and, and some of the college stations in Virginia that I reached out to are planning to go. So I, I think there will be a lot of college radio participants there. Um, so you say that the stations are planning to go. Do you mean that some students who are involved at these stations are planning to go? Yeah. Yeah, like the student leadership. Um, I don't it. know. I don't know how big um, 
I don't know how many people each station is going to bring, but I'm, I'm always a proponent of these sort of regional gatherings for college radio, especially, uh, you know, this is a free event. So it, it's a pretty great opportunity for people to get together with other college radio folks. And, and there aren't too many of those opportunities. So I, I like hearing when things like this are happening or when people are creating their own regional events for college radio, because not everybody has the money to fly across country to go to a conference, you know, like a big national conference. Right. This, this, this could just be gas money and, and some uh, road food. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to seeing all the stations at university of Virginia I don't know if I'm going to be able to see WUVA, which I was mentioning just got sold. Um, I wrote to them in January when the sale was about to be announced saying, you know, I'm going to be there in March. You know, is that going to be too late to see Hmm. the station? Um, You know, because this is, this is my life sometimes where I see news about a station going away and, and, you know, I didn't get a chance to see it. Um, and and all along, I was hoping to see all three stations at University of Virginia. So, so that news came sort of at the absolute wrong time. So we'll see. We'll poke around, try to try to see WUVA before the studios are dismantled. Hmm. And uh, that symposium is happening March seventeenth, right at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia. Is it, yes. It's a day long event day-long event and there and will it's be free. it's free uh there's information i think there's a link from the wtju site and we'll put a link in the show notes and of course i will give you updates about it after it happens as well <laughs> wonderful so that's in uh, anyone in, Vir- in the virginia area uh should should go on by and and say hello to you Check out, uh, of course, see your uh, presentations and and say hello and say, hey, we listen to Radio Survivor. Yes, I know. That's always that always warms my heart when I'm out on the road and people tell me that they listen. And then finally, we want to talk a little bit about this uh, infinite dial report that ju- that was just released, uh, which is a survey of Americans. So it's it's a representative and their listening habits with regard to to online, mostly with regard to digital radio and such. Um, it's always interesting to chart the changes, but it also gives us, I think, some information for uh, better understanding uh, what is lays ahead, especially for a uh, low power FM uh, community radio, radio of the kind that we really love. And this is a survey which is done by uh, Edison Research. So they're a polling firm. That, uh, they do a lot of consumer research, but they also do some political research. And they do it in cooperation with a company called Triton Digital, which uh, offers all sorts of digital radio services, uh, including hosting and advertising and things like this. Um, and they do it every year, and it comes out in March. And I think... Uh, one of the big top line statistics here of interest to people uh, who listen to Radio Survivor is that internet radio now, they say 61% of the country listens to internet radio monthly. Hmm. So 170 million people in the United States listen to internet radio every month. Wow. And we have to take into account that, that when they say internet radio, they are including things like Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Music, 
Amazon Prime Music. So they are including all sorts of digital music platforms in that radio number. But it does also include, you know, traditional what we would consider like broadcast stations online or pure play internet only stations. But when we kind of dig into demographics, the numbers become even more interesting. So if we look at the age group of 12 to 24, it's 87%. Mm -hmm. Let that sink in for a second. So that means, you know, the vast majority of young people are using internet radio every single month. Um, And then when we go up to the next age group, which they count as 25 to 54, it's still 70% are using internet radio every month. So that's the vast majority of the U.S. population is using internet radio. And why I think that's interesting is, you know, even though we just got through talking with Radio J. Allen about, uh, you know, improving your reception of low power FMs, I think it does sort of demonstrate to me that if you hope to capture a younger audience, which is as young as 12, but maybe even young as in 30, having that internet presence is probably something that should be on your on your uh, plan, if not something that you're able to do right away. Unless you're literally going to buy your young listeners uh, those radios, those $60 radios, and hand them and, to them. And, 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 and hope they don't just get tossed into a closet yeah. or left in the garage, right? Um, you know, I but think... Even, but even us, you know, think about the three of us as radio nerds. I listen to terrestrial stations, you know, on my car radio, but then when I get home, I listen online. So I think all age groups are consuming... That's right. Yeah, you know. 70% of people 25 to 54, I can say safely that all three of us are in that age range without giving too much away, uh, (laughs) uh, listen to internet radio monthly. 40% of Americans listen to internet radio in the car. Ah. So let's just think about Ah. this. Because this requires, right, this requires connecting your smartphone, which depending on the age of your car and what type of stereo you have, can range from simple Bluetooth to a pile of cables that sometimes are janky and don't work. Or wearing your headphones in your car. Or wearing your headphones in your car, which you probably should not be doing. Or listening uh, to it. um, I've done this, listening to it on an app just on your phone that's just sitting on the car seat. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So there, so any which way but but using your up data in your car yeah. using up data as you do so and that's a growing number well you can download yeah but i think we're talking about i mean we? i mean i don't know whether people make that it, yeah. it's possible Splitting people don't hairs. make that you differentiation can, you can save albums on your spotify account on your spotify if, you, and, if you're uh, a subscriber but not yeah. if it, not if you're using the free service no. and they don't differentiate between people using free pandora free spotify yeah. versus people who are subscribers but I think that's something to uh, to think about. And they kind of break down what are the major uh, stations, platforms, brands that people listen to. Uh-huh. And still leading in the U.S. Uh, across the country is Pandora. 32% of people who listen to internet radio in the last month say they listen to Pandora. Hmm. 18% say they use Spotify. 13% say they use iHeartRadio. 11% say they use SoundCloud. So that's sort of the big huh. top thing. Although young people, 12 to 24, vastly prefer Spotify. Oh. 45% of them use it versus uh, 16% of people in the next age group of 25 to 54. Huh. And do they – so you know, we know that YouTube is being used for music listening and discovery. So does that – is that a they whole don't count category? that as internet radio. No, they, they, they don't really count it because it's well, it's problematic to do so for a few right. reasons. One, because yeah. it's it's not really a live back experience as you call it. Exactly. 
But you can't be. You can you can you can fire up a YouTube playlist, sure, and never touch your device. The problem again is, is that it is video, and I think it's very. Right. And it's probably we wouldn't want to encourage people because it's sort of the temptation to want to look is probably sure. difficult. Uh, so and, and it wouldn't be integrated into a car dashboard. So it, there are uh, apps. Uh, on car dashboards that will run Pandora natively right. or run Spotify natively, but don't run YouTube. So YouTube still sits in a different pie, but I, I do have something to say about that in a minute. The thing that, Ed, that the folks at Edison pointed out is that though the overall pie of, of internet radio is getting bigger, right? So is these, so the percentage that, that say Pandora enjoys is going down, but in part that's because there's just more uh, people listening to more platforms. Um, and 23% of people, said that the brand of, of so whatever station or whatever they use is not one of the top four. So it's the sort of the other category has gone up. It was 19% last year. Now it's 23%. And this could include NPR one. This could include any number of other internet radio stations or other providers. Um, but uh, you know, you can still see that big dominance of these uh, of these of the big radio uh, internet radio providers or really streaming music providers. And the thing I want to point out, by the way, is that all of the dominant internet radio dominant uh, brands, not a single one of them is profitable. Hmm. Every single one of them is not profitable. Just pointing that out. <laughs> iHeartRadio billions of dollars in debt. Spotify, Pandora, they're venture funded, so they're not traded on the uh, stock exchange, but they're not profitable. They are not making money versus yeah. how much money has been in, sunk into them. It's dangerous territory for me to start, uh, but it reminds me of Uber, which is also like a very dominant, you know, world changing company that is, it's not profitable. Yeah. It's, well, it continues to, to except grow. Pandora has been around a decade longer. Yeah, you know, and Spotify has been around nearly a decade but longer. They grow, they change the landscape, they suck in a lot of attention, and yeah. uh, and and really change the business model for everybody. And yet, it's all um, it's all it's all being supported right. by the venture capitalism. And Spotify in particular is problematic because I'm convinced that their business model is not sustainable. Mm. That that in particularly providing. Uh, on-demand audio, where I can say I want to hear this album, this track, this artist right now. I should be for paying more free. for my Spotify. I I don't. I mean, I don't know that this. I think providing it for free yeah. is an uns well, and ad supported is an unsustainable well, what about $10 business model. A month, which is so cheap. I don't know. So so that I can't say. I don't know. Um, I, I think the subscription model is probably sustainable, mm. but m the vast majority of Spotify users use the free version. Right. So, and I think it is the free on demand. I get to listen to what I want model is right. not sustainable. It's, it's something which is done to bring in customers and hopefully convert them into paying customers, but is not sustainable in the same way that ad supported regular old radio is sustainable because it's a model which has been around for a very long time. If these companies like iHeart are indebted, it's not because they have a bad business model in terms of broadcasting. It's because they screwed the pooch and over indebted themselves consolidating and, and in the process killing their primary product. That's my, my, my little rant there. We've heard it before on radio. You've Super heard Apple. it before. So let's talk a little bit about YouTube then. YouTube is covered in what they call about the keeping up with music, music discovery. Hmm. So right. where, where, what do you use primarily to learn about new music? And still, 
both in, in across all age groups, friends and family are the number one recommendation. What right. your friends tell you to listen to, what family members tell you to listen to. Huh. But if you are 12 to 24 years old, YouTube has just edged out friends and family. Wow. So 80% say it's so it's basically the um that you can list most you can list uh multiple things so these percentages don't add up to 100 but 80 percent of kids 12 to 24 say youtube is where is one of the places where i learn about new music huh. whereas 77 percent of them say friends and family is where i learn about new music yeah i mean youtube is where as as the parent of a young person <laughs> that's where young people go to learn about everything mm-hmm uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. AM FM radio, when we talk about the population as a whole, 68% of people say they learn about new music there. They keep up with music there. Okay. 12 to 24 years old, 50%. Yeah. Which is below Pandora for that age group as well. So it's below YouTube, it's below Pandora. So I think what this begins to tell us is that, again, we have a new generation of, of listeners. They're not giving up on music. They're not giving up on audio programming. But where they go for it is someplace different. And it doesn't mean give up AM and FM radio because I suspect people do graduate to it a little bit as well when their lives don't allow them to spend as much screen time or glued to a, to a, a, a tablet or a smartphone. Sure. You know, it, it changes your relationship to these things. But also yeah. – there's an argument that habits get set in place. Go ahead, Jennifer. Oh, well, and also I think, I think a lot of people don't realize how, how much they're actually listening to the radio. So I think even the people who say that most of their music discovery is happening on YouTube, they are actually discovering music on radio. How so? How so? Um, what's, what's the case there? Uh, you know, because they, they might be listening to top 40 stations and that might actually be the first place they hear a particular song. But, but I mean, do they listen to it, but they don't know they're listening to it? I don't know. I mean, it's ubiquitous. Like it's in the car. Oh, so, it's, so, so they're exposed the to store. it. So, yeah. so what you're saying is that it's they're, the because I mean, I, they don't make this differentiation. So right. but I might, I might propose a differentiation between being exposed to it and choosing it. Yeah. And right. that when you say, when I go and I want to keep up with music, I turn on YouTube Versus, oh, yeah, maybe my dad's playing the radio in the car or, you know, I'm, I'm at the grocery store. Or I'm somewhere that's playing a radio station and I hear a song I like or I hear a song that I haven't heard before, but I didn't really choose to listen to radio. Yeah, but it's interesting because, yeah, it's how do you look at discovery? Like to me, I don't know, is it discovery if you're going to YouTube and you're deciding what you want to find there. <laughs> well, um, but, but you get recommendations, right? Yeah. There's all sorts of autoplay. Stuff gets fed to you. And, and this is called keeping up with music. So I think there's that, that's the words they use. So I think it can be interpreted a lot of different ways. There's discovery. There's looking for new things. There's wanting to hear what you want to hear, you know, but I think people can interpret a number of different ways. But I think what this says to me then is that on top of the fact that, a radio, an LPFM community radio station, a college station in particular, uh, should be investing some time and money into have making sure they're having an online, uh, online on YouTube. Uh, yeah, presence is to be on YouTube. Definitely. 
right? And and in particular, here, here's here's a place where a low power FM, a college station, or a community radio station has a, an incredible advantage because you are probably your station is the place that is most likely to have the local bands where the members are made up of local people who are between the ages of 12 and 24 come in, be accessible to them, have them on the air and be able to put them on YouTube, a place where their friends are more likely to be able to hear and see them. I need to make a, a a play to ask these, these uh, stations to uh, use the board feed in your videos, please. Yes, that's right. Because <laughs> I've seen them, I've seen the opposite, and I don't like it. Now, but, and yet, you know, but I think that uh, anything is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. So even if someone's just whipping out their smartphone in an impromptu jam session that's happening in the studio, especially if they're acoustic instruments, where it right. matters maybe a little less. It depends. Any, well, right. But I want to say, you know, perfect is the enemy of finished. And, at this moment in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> time, as much as I'm an audio nerd and I want the board feed and I want to sound good. And, and if it sounds too crappy, I move on. No doubt. Not every 14 year old feels the same way I do. And, no, and I think that anything that that is where it's so easy at, especially at a volunteer run station to get mired in the sort of, well, we shouldn't do it till we can do it really well or perfect. And, never and that turns it, into yeah. not doing right. it. And instead to really take this impulse of like, let's start and do it because we can always down the line decide, well, that video was too crappy and delete it because now we're doing it better, but better to bring in those ears and those eyeballs with something rather than have nothing. Well, and plus look at the landscape of YouTube, you know, so you're competing against somebody doing a really crappy recording of a record and then just showing whatever (laughs) random images on the screen. So, or pointing their smartphone. Like I've seen people pointing their smartphone at like, something like Pandora playing on their television or, or you're competing with, (laughs) with like a bad bootleg in quotes of somebody holding up their smartphone at a concert or a cafe show. Right. Right. Like it's unfortunate. I'm not crazy about it, but let's, let's be realistic. That's a good point. Yeah. The bar is really low. Um, but yeah, Paul, I'm really glad that you brought that up because often we think about things as being competition, but you know, Anybody can be on YouTube, so it's a perfect opportunity for a station to have their own content that they own that's not, like, ripping off, you know, yeah. a bootleg copy of something. You can actually have real video of a band, so and it's a great idea. And that's where non-commercial radio excels, right? It's, there's, they're always it's so knit into the local music committee and having artists on air often impromptu, right? Often dropping by in addition to shows where maybe they schedule something and they set up more of a full band situation. I mean, that's so ubiquitous and it's so powerful. And, you know, I can't guarantee that you're going to, you're going to draw every, every, you know, 14 year old who's looking for the new Drake record uh, or single, you know, to your station. But think about, you know, a young person who's looking for something different or again, who's who knows about a band in town, whose friend is in that band, or maybe their friend's mom is in that band and they're like, Oh, I'd love to kind of catch more of that. Oh, cool. They were on the local station and I didn't miss it. Cause I couldn't tune in at that hour. 
Instead, I can go to the YouTube site for that station, the YouTube channel, and catch that band playing. I think that that's a that's a powerful thing. And in some ways, I mean, I'm starting to think just in our conversation here, if your station is choosing between in the moment right now, you're like, well, we don't know where to put our resources. Should we should we get our YouTube channel up and running, or should we get the online stream up and running? I'm wondering since the YouTube channel is free. And most people have smartphones and, you know, maybe, and maybe, you know, with asking around a little bit, you can find somebody who knows a little bit more about video production, maybe somebody at your local public access TV station or your local community college, uh, who might be able to give you a hand in, 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 uh, boosting the quality a little bit. Uh, you might want to start there (laughs) because it might be a, 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 a quicker on ramp. I've, I've spoken to a number of college radio stations that collaborate with campus television stations. So, you know, they work together on it. And there are an increasing number of college radio stations that have video departments now. So, you know, yeah. students realize the importance of multimedia for radio. Yeah, because they're living in it, right? Yeah. You know, today's 18-year-olds have grown up with this. They're living in it. It's natural to them. It's it's those of us in that uh, 25 to 54 age group who have to think harder about it. And I also want to throw out a pitch. Not Again, I, I have no uh, association with this, with Mixcloud, but it's a place where you can put up your DJ mixes. You put in your full show. You don't, it's free. It's on demand. Uh, I have no idea how they sustain it, but at the moment that's not my concern. Um, and it's, and to start your stations, uh, channel on Mixcloud, it doesn't have nearly the popularity of a Spotify or YouTube, yeah. but again, it's a place to put your shows up where you don't have any outlay of money. You just have to make sure to record your shows and digitize them. I, uh, I'm, I'm just starting to scratch the surface with Bandcamp. Which I'm sure is not even on the list. Well, it's not for yeah, and it's not for stations. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, it's for it's for musicians. It's for musicians, and it's a weird. And I, I don't know if they ask about Bandcamp. I honestly don't. know I don't if it's know, and I don't know the if survey. there's a potential for stations. It's not really because it's not radio, and it's not quite on demand in well, the same way. Uh, it's definitely so have, a music discovery tool, though. I have several, sure. I have yeah. several friends who um who distribute their music on Bandcamp both yeah, for love, free and for I money. Think it's great. Uh I like how Bandcamp will uh social network me up with some of so I'm there's a there's a music blogger or <laughs> I call them a blogger. He was an author of books before but I mean so I know what um I know what Bandcamp albums he purchases cuz I'm his Bandcamp friend. Uh, and then Bandcamp has also, I recently noticed, they've actually been putting out radio. They'll have a DJ spin uh, a mix oh, really? of Bandcamp songs. I don't know how often they put this out. I think it might be once a week. And so here's this here's this guy uh, doing doing a DJ set, and Bandcamp will distribute it on their Bandcamp app. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah. we'll definitely have to put that in the show notes. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't seem to be included in the Edison survey that I'm it's, aware of. It's, they're small fish, or maybe but, they're I, very... but they're indie in a way that well, I like. No, they're doing... Me too. Yeah. They just started, you know, in the past year, they started beefing up their editorial content, and they've been profiling right. college radio stations, too. So, it's I'm I'm pretty intrigued by what Bandcamp is up to right now as well. Yeah, they're a nice app on my phone. They actually, um, they did this uh, wonderful thing where they insisted that I buy one album if I wanted the app on my phone that I could then use to stream a lot of other content for free. So that's that's how I bought the app, was purchasing one of my friend's 
you know, $5 album. What I love about Bandcamp, Ron, yeah, is that they work directly with labels and artists and make it very, very, very easy for them to sell their music mm-hmm. uh, in a way that otherwise, you know, would be very difficult, I think. And because they have this sort of uh, critical mass of artists now, um, people are much more likely to use it than maybe in the past if you felt like it was just sort of a fringe thing. Right. As well, that from a consumer standpoint, I can download it as an MP3 or I can download it in full CD quality. Hmm. I don't have to only get the compressed thing and, you know, maybe different price points, but I will pay extra. Well, we need to, to get be the wave file. Camp friends, you and me. Hey, indeed we do. And they also still will also help you sell your vinyl or your CDs or right. cassettes if, if you're also uh, selling that. Um, and they seem to be very fair and, uh, you know, and, and they, they, so they maintain a level of quality, which is higher then you can get through iTunes or through Amazon um, if you're buying tracks and they're much more accessible. So, you know, boy, we, we've made a lot of recommendations and we make, we receive no money from any of these organizations. <laughs> Let me just uh, throw that out there. Um, yes, so let's, I know. We're sounding like we're shilling for everything we're today. <laughs> we're just, we're just trying to help people out and it's I, a capitalist yeah. society. And I'll take, I'll take some shilling. We're uh, in the uh, free credits for shilling for band camp. Band camp never yeah. Any fe- buddy's feelings. We're in the stream. Uh, and then finally podcasting. Let's look at the podcasting stats. Oh, on infinite dial. <laughs> Tell me more. So we're now, uh, podcasting now has 67 million listeners a month. So 24% of the U S population listens to 24%. podcasts, 24%, 67 million people. That's a 10 million person increase over last year. Wow. So uh, the biggest gain is actually in the 25 to 54 age group, which makes sense to me. That's yeah. where I see even when I – so when I, I've talked to some colleges now and talked to college students about podcasting and certainly they're into it. But it seems like they tend to often be even like seniors and then and, and they and, – and there's like – well, because like, there's just sort of I think a life shift that happens when you move from college uh, to you know to out of college, often to your first job, you begin commuting. You have more of this time in which radio and podcasting right. fits in. There's, it, is, it is a lonely activity to put something in your headphones. You're not, you're no longer socializing. Yeah, exactly. So 31% of people in that age group, 25 to 54, are uh, listening to podcasts and 27% of the younger age group, 12 to 24, are listening. But that did not change. The kids didn't, didn't go. The ones who love podcasts love them, but they're, uh, you know, they're staying pretty static. What's that age group? Uh, The younger age group? 12 to 24. Uh, They're not even capturing the fifth graders of the world. Uh, I don't think they can. I don't think they're permitted to. Yeah, they're not allowed. Yeah. My son uh has he's just he's off he's off in the world subscribing to podcasts right and left when he wants them. You know, I we were listening to a we were listening to a particular podcast in the car on a road trip and then we got home and then 3 days later I was like, "Hey, you know, let's listen to it again." He's like, "Oh, I already caught up." He's he already listened to the last 3 uh, episodes of He's cheating on you. Yeah. I love and I know it, so. I know some kids who are hosting podcasts. Too. Oh yeah, right. absolutely. I mean, I mean that's not a small number, really, when you think about twenty-seven percent of the entire population of twelve to twenty-four year olds. That's yeah. not a small number of people; it's millions. Um, I think I wonder if it captures, and, and I don't know because there's many podcasts. I'm using air quotes. You can't see me that are on YouTube, right? Right. There's a lot of like gamer shows and things, and they they I think they call themselves podcasts, and and the kids consider them podcasts, even though they're pretty much wholly <sighs> Have consumed we talked on about YouTube. This form of media. So this are is they my, vlogs. 
my fifth greatest no, dominant yeah. choice of media consumption, given freedom to choose, will watch uh, relatively young people, people that I'm that appear to be in their early twenties, uh, playing video games and talking about it. And he has made it very clear to me that his favorite. Uh, YouTube stars of this video game genre are the ones that narrate the game well. Yeah, that's like my eighteen-year-old nephew. Yeah, I don't. I think I don't. I think we've talked about it on this. We've mentioned it here and there. Yeah, but yeah, this is this is a this is a form of media that is um, a genre of of creativity that is that is incomprehensible to me. You know, ten years ago, and now it's a you know it's there's the influence on my own life is growing and so i mean it's in so many Not to ways mention twitch right you got youtube and twitch yeah twitch which is only gaming pretty yeah. much it's so indie Live at streaming. a level it's so independent at a level because you can just do it now of course it's via a platform owned by a one of the world's largest conglomerates you need a very fancy computer you need a fancy computer to pull it off but yeah it's it's a it's a very interesting thing and i and, you know i could just i could just imagine though like I, i'm sure someone has a video game show on a low power fm or college station somewhere hmm. right oh yeah totally so i can think you know, of a few off the top of my head <laughs> if you, you don't put your gameplay videos up because you you've you you're trading on that right your audience thinks of you as an expert in games uh if you're not putting your gameplay videos up on twitch or youtube you may be listening you're missing out on on really uh, yeah, serving you could your be, audience you could twitch your you took your show show i mean on gaming yeah sure. absolutely i mean i know there's some local comedians that that are using twitch as their streaming yeah. video comedy the key here service. you know it, it's going to become a broken record here but your your radio station is a platform it's not just a radio station it is a place that is a media outlet for your community and it 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 it's it should be a fixture Right. It should be a fixture like your local YMCA. It should be a fixture, you know, like a lot of other sort of uh, public service like the symphony or, you know, the local nonprofit performance hall. It's a fixture. And yes, you maintain that 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 broadcast signal for a reason. You want people to listen there. But we are past the point in which anyone should think about that being the only engagement they have and the only media uh, they produce because there's so many other places to, to hit people and they will support you as well. And they are looking for you to do things and you can promote and support all of the arts and culture and news you need to do in your community in these other media as well. Right. It is not exclusive and gone should be the fear that if you've got a YouTube channel online stream that you're somehow diluting or taking away from what you do on air and never doubt for a minute, you have a lot of radio listeners. <laughs> They're still really out there. And you may, because it's not an interactive medium, because um, it does not put any pings back to your server, you can't count them. And ratings are not generally useful for small stations and probably not worth what you pay for them. Uh, and so you, you don't know they're there in the same way, but they are there, but it's just one part. And you should think about your, your station as a platform. And that license is in a way a sort of guarantee to your community that you intend to stick around and that you are there to do public service, to do community service. It's the thing. It's the, it's, it's the, affirmation that you're not fly by night, right? That it's not here today, gone tomorrow, because we've got this very valuable permit from the federal government that is hard to get. 
and not just anyone can have. And that gives us a sense of permanence that I think maybe some other enterprises, especially on the internet, may not have, may see more fly by the night. Um, and, and, but then to use that as a foundation to build upon. I think that that's what we're learning here. All right. I'm done ranting. <laughs> hey, thanks, thanks for. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, oh, Jennifer. Yeah. Thanks for listening to uh, the Infinite Dial. Uh, report this week. It's my job, by the way. Because <laughs> I do work for a podcasting company, so uh, somebody somebody has to uh, tune in and take notes and share them with the rest of his colleagues before the uh, slide deck gets uh, released. But we'll include, it's now out, so uh, for people who want to dig in and look at the stats themselves, they may. We'll put that in our show notes at uh, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. So, of course, if you just search Infinite Dial 2017, I'm sure Google will turn up the results for you as well. Thanks for listening to the podcast today, everybody. I think that's it. We did it, right? We did yeah. it. Thank that's you. A, that's, a, that's another episode. I had a lot of fun. That we, was good. It, it should be fun. I hope it was fun for everyone who listened. And uh, we really do appreciate that you take an yeah. hour or an hour and a half out of your week to spend some time with us. Or to skip around. <laughs> to skip the first thing and only listen to the last thing. Uh, yeah, thank you so much. And as always, as we say every time, we would love to hear from you. Please do email us at uh, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And if you have questions that we don't know how to answer, we'll try and find somebody who can. That's yeah. what led us to Radio J. Allen was the question of how do I improve reception? I'm like, some of those tips I knew, but I'm like, you know, I'm not entirely sure I'm right. I might have said put that extra piece of wire on the antenna. And according to Jay, <laughs> you've got one of the new fangled DSP radios. I would be wrong. I thought you were going to ask him about the time you would uh, lean out your window trying to get the, the, <laughs> the metal stations. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, exactly. That's, that's a different that's story. A, well, that was my strategy. Uh, yeah. Fishing a wire out the window when my mom wasn't looking (laughs) (laughs) that's great all right well thank you jennifer thank you eric thank you pause one thank Thank you. you everyone